July 5th, 1229. Um, pretty good conversation. Um, I feel like I learned a lot about um, mental health in general after this. Yo, Jack Plex, answer the fucking phone, dude. question that I just kind of want to start this off with is what have you been diagnosed with? I was diagnosed originally with just ADHD, anxiety, depression, and I feel like those kind of just go hand in hand. So if you have one of them, you're sure to have the other two anyways. I was diagnosed at the age of 15 with autism, and that's actually caused a few headaches, not for the reasons that you would think of, but I'll get on to that more later in the story. Once you had received, I mean, all these diagnoses, and alongside the autism one, how did you feel about that? Honestly, I don't really remember about the ADHD anxiety stuff. It, it, it always felt a part of me. Adding a label to it didn't really matter much or affect me much to me. And that's kind of the same thing with autism, too. If I've already had it, there's no point in crying about it, about it just finally getting a name for what my little personality was like. Who were the people that kind of guided you into even... Um going to seek professional aid in, in realizing this? It would have to have been my mother, for sure. Uh, I've been I've been going to therapy since third grade, and my mom, my mom, she has always funded these, and she's always convinced and uh, cared for me enough for me to seek mental support since a very young age. When it came to time for me to go to wilderness, that was suggested by her and uh, her boyfriend at the time. And I knew I needed help because of trouble that I was having in school and at home and my behavior that I needed more than just outpatient therapy. I needed to actually do something intensive in order to get better. So let's start kind of like at third grade. So what, what, what was the incident or what was the or maybe it was a buildup of moments. It could have been an incident buildup. And I'm sure you'll tell me what, what, what was this? What was the main thing that spurred your mother to even want to take you to seek help in the first place? I was a very... I, I, I was a, I was a good kid, but at the, I, I just I wasn't doing well socially. I wasn't making friends. I wasn't. I, I was getting in trouble with school and not doing homework. I was just not doing well. I and like I, I just wasn't exactly following the same pace for uh, mental growth as the other kids. So it was decided that like I, I needed to get diagnosed and get some help elsewhere. I, mean, I didn't. I didn't change schools. I, I needed. I needed to go to start going to therapy. And I think it was around third or fourth grade is when I they first started trying to medicate me, but it didn't work out. I think it was Adderall at first, and then it didn't work out really quick. So th this this is let's cement this moment in time. This is like third grade ish. Let's let's yeah. just bring it back to present day really quick. Um, do you find yeah. yourself having these same issues of of making friends and whatnot? Oh no 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 no! I'm the the all all the help that I've been to in the past uh, five years have definitely changed a lot for me, especially those programs that I went to. I feel that if I haven't gone to those programs, then I definitely would be in a worst case scenario type of deal. I can't exactly say it was a success success story. While yes, it was successful in reaching one of its goals, 
you can be successful without exactly going through the right processes. I see what you're saying. Again, let's let's just take it back to like third, fourth grade. You know, you had gotten Adderall, you had gotten recently diagnosed. Uh, your mother has picked up on this. Tell me about like your your teenage and preteen years. You know, at, the, at this point in time, we're all kind of like learning how to actually deal with being in like social settings and, and friend groups mm-hmm. and X and X. And how did that go for you? Growing up, grew up without, I, I have to kind of give context. Growing up, my mom and dad divorced and my mom was seeing other men. And it was like, there, there was like three boyfriends over the course of four years or so that we uh, were dealing with. And then in middle school, uh, in the middle of middle school, so I was in sixth grade at the time, mom started seeing someone else and we decided to move in with him. And uh, it went, we went over to, uh, I lived in San Francisco. We went, we went across the bay to live somewhere else. So I changed school districts in the middle of my middle school time. And I, 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 wasn't, I wasn't doing well in sixth grade either before we moved. I, my problems were getting, it was coming to a head. It was getting pretty bad. I just wasn't doing homework. I would get into physical fights now and not just arguing with a teacher anymore. It, it would, I, I just wasn't picking up on social cues or anything really. And it would cause me to get in a lot of trouble with other kids. And they decided to start physically harassing me. I remember one incident where, because I, I, I was apparently weird for reading the newspaper in sixth grade every morning and bringing it to classes. And <laughs> one one kid decided it would be great to try and steal the paper. So I would, I would, I, I was chasing because I wanted it back and I wasn't finished reading it. And this middle school was in the middle of San Francisco. It was a multi-story, so there was uh, like a bunch of flights of stairs. He went down one of the stairs and one of his buddies uh, tripped me at the first uh, step to going down the flight. And I actually had to go to the hospital because of that, because I sprained my ankle really badly falling down. Surprisingly, not much else, so. That's like something that I didn't really have control over causing, but there was definitely stuff that I did to not exactly successfully commit to a social life. Or I didn't really, I didn't really have a friend group. I didn't really hang out with anybody. I mostly just drew, played played Minecraft, and was at home playing Legos. I think you had mentioned earlier too that you kind of had trouble picking up on like social cues and whatnot, right? Yeah. And around like the sixth grade-ish point in time too, regardless of, of, of the bullying, because that, that's pretty fucking crazy that they even, <laughs> kids are so evil, bro. I, I can't, I can't believe, I can't believe that he set you up to, to trip you. It's, it's, it's crazy, man. I mean, that, that is one of the, one of the worst middle schools in San Francisco at the time. I've heard it's got better, but I haven't seen for myself. I think that this conversation, especially like in, in this point of time, kind of like where I am in life, I've, I've actually realized that, um. Uh, a lot of people have not, especially upper class people, which is insane to me, have never actually had a conversation with somebody who's autistic and does not understand how that actually affects somebody. Like they don't actually understand like what that means and what it means for somebody to not actually pick up on social cues. Can you just describe like a, a situation where like that you, I mean, now that you've like gotten all this help and whatnot, you can see it. But back then in the moment, you just didn't see that you just weren't picking up on something. I got I got one, but I wouldn't necessarily say it's because of autism itself. It was more of just uh, I was a very naive child growing up in middle school. I was very sheltered by my mother. And so when we moved and I got a lot more freedom, I was given a bike. It was told I can go around the neighborhood with it. 
I, I was just very naive to the way the world worked. And so I, I found these two other kids on bikes and I was like, hey, you guys are biking, I'm biking, y'all wanna hang out? I think they reluctantly said yes. And uh, so I was, I, was, I was with them on the bike and then they went home and I remember where their homes were. I went back the next day in front of one of their houses and sat on the curb for like two hours waiting for him to come out. And I realized he's not gonna come out, so I went home. And my mom's boyfriend at the time was a realtor. He was furious because his, his social life was everything to his business. And apparently people were calling him about how uh, his girlfriend's child was sitting around on a curb outside of someone's home for multiple hours being creepy or something. And so that, that, that that's one example. That's kind of fucked up too. Cause like even, even like completely disregarding everything else, like you were just a kid anyway. You didn't even have to know anything about you to just kind of put together that like, hey, this dude's like a kid. Like maybe, maybe an adult should go out there and speak to him and try to understand where he's coming from or like why he's doing this because honestly like i mean you i mean it seems like you had like at least at that point in time like you had like a home to go to like some kids like do that because either they don't want to go back home or they just there's like a greater reason behind it this kind of area is not exactly it's a it's a very reputable area it's uh i don't know if you're familiar with the bay area but it's a, it's a town called lafayette they got it's just suburbs and a she-she shopping district that goes down for an entire street. Everyone's very tight-knit and there's not many problems in the area. And so I don't think anyone actually would have come to the conclusion that I would have been in danger because there have kids roaming the neighborhood all the time in that area. Would you say that throughout your entire experience at middle school, it was just pretty unfavorable? Yeah, I mean, even after I moved, it was pretty bad. I mean, just because I, I so when I, when I moved, I, I had to change middle schools, obviously. And uh, I started actually taking the school bus for the first time ever in my life. I used to get driven to school by my mom. And getting on that bus, my first day, I was called the, and I, I, don't, I don't mean to be, I'm not homophobic or anything, I'm not rude or whatever. I was called the tranny of the bus just because I switched middle school districts in the middle of my middle school time. And I mean, I find it humorous now, but I, I didn't even know what it meant at the time. I just knew it wasn't. I, like of all things to go after the fact that i moved into the neighborhood that's so that's what i'm saying bro like kids are just evil like they're just, yeah. like I mean, kids look, look, looking at it back looking back at it now though all they all they were were just kind of all they did on the bus was just fight over the bluetooth speaker that the bus driver owned to play old dubstep music because there was that era oh my god like dead mao and and uh, yeah it was like it, it was it was a lot of uh pegboard nerds and monster cat and far too loud. It was the uh, the 2012s or so, or 2013s. Oh, that definitely was a time. Yeah, but in middle school, it's not necessarily what the kids did; it's what the teachers didn't do. Like, I I grew up going to school in a time where people knew that autism existed, but not exactly what to do about it. What they do with a lot of kids in public school districts that have uh, learning difficulties, that included me or anyone with autism or ADHD or any problem that could inhibit doing schoolwork, they would stick them in a class that's called the social skills class or the homework skills class or study skills or something along the lines of that name. And they're basically there for an entire period. They're supposed to be f focusing on their work. and. The teachers there are supposed to be helping, but they're not exactly like certified 
certified counselors or anything. They don't really, they're just there to make sure we don't cause trouble and do what we're supposed to do, but they're not exactly there to help us out necessarily. And so it's basically, I saw it as a way of just sticking us uh, away for a period so we don't bother the other kids, I guess. There's just so many things wrong with how like that entire thing is being approached too. Exactly. It didn't really help out my homework either. My grades were still slipping and I was I was still doing piss poor and I still wasn't exactly making friends except there was like I think two people that I became friendly with and they even like came over to my house. I came over to theirs. My mom still talks to one of their moms. But at the time I had a really, really bad tech addiction because growing up, I didn't have anyone to talk with. I, I mostly relied on people on the internet or on Minecraft servers or whatever. And so that's what I'd spend most of my time doing when I'm back home, it's just being on a computer doing stuff. So it's it's that's on top of the uh, the other mental stuff that I was going through is this really terrible tech addiction. I'm always on my phone, I'm always on my... Because of this thing, I actually lost one of the friends I made in middle school because I uh, like invited him over to my house and then multiple times I'd pay him to get off of my computer so I could be on the computer instead. And it came to a head where he says he doesn't want to be friends anymore. And I, I haven't really spoken to him much ever since. And the other one, we, after I got sent to Wilderness, I had to kind of cut a lot of relationships because they just weren't active or they just weren't going anywhere and I haven't talked to them for two years. So And so that was that's where the other middle school friend went, it's just we straight apart. I think that um that that does exemplify a lot about how like when you're younger, you don't really even know how to like, because as an adult, of course, you're like, why the fuck would I ever pay someone to get off my computer when you're like in my place but like as a kid like again like you don't really understand and alongside everything else that you said too like you were just lacking like kind of like the context on how to go about that too so that's like oh like i think i see my parents use this this is like a good thing to give to someone right that's just very indicative of like how naive like children are in general i i think the concept of money has kind of been warped for me because of my mom's boyfriend at the time that i was at middle school he was a very big spender, likes to show off his wealth and take us to expensive dinners and vacations and stuff. Like, I enjoyed him, but it's not really my lifestyle. Like, he'd take us to, like, he has a thing with, with his family that, that he did even before we were in his life, where he'd go to Mexico with his family to a resort they have a timeshare at for, winter, for uh, New Year's. And so we went with him, like, for three years in a row. And I, I enjoyed my time there, but I like living comfortably. I don't like living luxuriously. And so I think like the kind of like the last thing too is that um, I think you had mentioned also that you had gotten into like physical altercations with like your teachers too. Uh, no, not with my teachers, but just with other students. And was it in the same like social skills class that they kind of just put you guys in or was it different classes? It, it was a separate classroom. So there were other kids, but it was they were all part of that program. And so tell me about how you kind of got into... I, I, w I was just like kind of dumbfounded that like something like that even... Wilderness. I, I forget. How would you label it? It's a therapeutic wilderness. Or it, officially it's called adventure therapy. And tell me more about like the age you were in, the headspace, and how it came about. I was around 15. So I just finished ninth grade terribly. I failed almost all of my classes except for digital design to take summer school. And I was already going to outpatient therapy once a week at a local hospital. They have therapists and counselors there. And it just wasn't helping for multiple years. So one day in summer school, my parents sat me down and said, tomorrow morning, you are going to Utah 
uh, and you you are you're going to uh, be backpacking for three months in Utah receiving therapy and it, it, it kind of just existed. I wasn't a very outdoorsy kid. Uh, I did hike often but I never really enjoyed it I guess. Hearing them saying like I am going to Utah, I don't have a choice in it. It, it was kind of just shocked me into like seeing how far I've taken things and I, 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 at that point I knew like yeah I need the extra help and so I was okay with it. And that, that's how it was broken down to me. The next morning, we woke up at 3 in the morning. We went over to uh, the Oakland airport. And I wasn't, I couldn't bring my phone or anything. All I had was my iPad. So I got sent, I got sent to that airport. And we went, we flo- flew to Utah, me and my mom and her boyfriend at the time. And they dropped me off at the airport. And they, I was picked up by people that ran that program. It's called Aspiro. And I was taken to I taken to like a small warehouse of theirs in I think Provo, Utah. And I was told to uh, to take off my clothes and then put it in a bag. And they gave me clothes and a bunch of stuff that everyone else had because we weren't allowed to have different items from each other because it causes infighting between ourselves. All of us had basically. So I was given clothes, zip off shorts, a backpack, and some food. And I was sent. And they drove me over to uh, Fairview, Utah where they drove up a mountain to their base camp area and I was dropped off with the other orientation group which you're there for at orientation for three days to get to know how to how you're the basics of what you're doing so like building shelters out of tarps because that's what we have we had a bottom tarp and a top tarp for making a-frames or whatever other kind of shelter we needed we were given rope and told how to use our uh, our stove and stuff because we each had our own little propane stove. After that, we were joined up with the Boys 2 group, or B2 for short. There were five boys groups and two girl groups. And honestly, the therapy that I received there over, uh, at that wilderness was kind of bad. I, I, I learned more from the time that I had to self-reflect and the people that I talked with and the experiences that I, that I had than I had with my therapist there at the time. So what, what made that therapy bad for you? It just wasn't very helpful. There wasn't really a click between me and the therapist. He didn't really get, offer me any, uh, any like life-changing advice. He kind of just assigned me books to read, told me to stop picking my skin and pick on pine cones instead, I guess. That sounds like the exact same problem that was going on. It's like they're not treating you like a human being. I think that's like you have to understand that these these the the whole the whole world of youth mental health isn't exactly. I mean, I'm gonna just say it. The whole the whole mental health thing, all it is, is a a glorified opinion of the way that the of society that people should work in society. It's I'm not saying it's necessarily wrong. People don't know what to do with people that. Uh, are having that are differing from what should be the societal norm in their view so they end up suppressing those extra little quirks or with medications or i'm, I'm not like saying like there are a lot like there's some disorders like yes you have to take meds for but antidepressants are kind of fucked man the, the just they are they are they adhd meds are basically just suppressants they when i when i was on them i i could barely feel any emotion man I, I couldn't really express myself having problems even making uh, facial uh, facial differences for when it for when it comes to yeah inflections I was having difficulty with inflections Whatever. expressions <laughs> and inflections even with my voice 
Oh, just overall, just being able just to overall, physically express yourself. Yeah, I just couldn't. Like, I, I didn't feel excitement. All I felt was just this apathetic nothingness. And le- that later got diagnosed. My, I, ha- I was originally diagnosed with major depressive disorder, but that got changed to dysthymia, which is a little different. It's instead of a feeling of dread or, uh, or sadness during times of depression, instead it's like a, a week-long the two week long feeling of just absolute nothingness you just feel nothing you can't feel anything uh, did you go to different sessions of adventure therapy what do you mean okay so this is the i'm assuming that throughout your entire course of being there like you said the best thing that came out of it was kind of like your own self reflections right yes and that was pretty much what mainly came out of adventure therapy like did no was there not like a good guide or therapist there overall that really like made a difference for you and if so if that was the case where did you if you did did you find that person somewhere else or someone else that could help you no i I feel like the people that i talked with more that were also there for their own reasons were more helpful than the actual therapist that wilderness that i had do you have anybody that was like that still sticks out to you in your memory there is but most of the I went to back back then. I just haven't really spoken to since. There was one kid. He was in my orientation thing with me, and he went into the same group as me. We called him Alaska for most of the time that he was there, and he was uh, he was my buddy in wilderness. Uh, we I was with him the most, and uh, we we backpacked next to each other. We talked to each other, shared journals, uh, cooked food together. And yeah, I, I miss the guy, man. Was it just him, like, kind of like sharing his own reflections and journey to you that kind of made yours, like, feel like less of like a weight on you, if that makes sense? Not really. It was more of just having someone to talk to that you could relate to, mm-hmm. but not really because we had the same problems. He was there because of drug abuse, and uh, as most of the boys were, he was there for drug abuse and having a pretty bad relationship with his family. You have to understand that it's not necessarily the problems that send you to wilderness. Sometimes it's the way parenting is done. Any parent can pay the money to send their kid to wilderness. They don't have to have a reason. Most of them did have a reason to be there. They just didn't want to admit it. And he was one of them. And what were some of the biggest self-reflections that you made throughout the tenure of your stay there? I was a bumbling social idiot. (laughs) (laughs) I needed to think a lot more before I did actions. I needed to, that's really the biggest one. I needed needed to start thinking before I did stuff. I needed to think about more than just how things would would affect me and more about how they would affect others. So empathy and, and thinking before action are the two biggest ones. It also got me like really fucking fit, man. Three months of backpacking. I, I, at like, uh, Utah mountain altitudes of like, 10,000 feet. I got I got jacked, man. I had calves of steel. Pretty much when when that had ended, you were still was that for the whole summer or it was like for 3 months, right? I got sent July 18th and I left October 10th. And then you enrolled back into 10th grade? No. Uh, so I need to I need to rewind here a bit. So remember, I said my autism diagnosis was at 15. And I got sent to wilderness at 15. So oh, that's right. They actually do their own diagnosis here because up until now it was just the school district that was in charge of diagnosing uh, students, right? So the wilderness program has their own little diagnosis thing. They have they have their own people, and so the guy came 
and uh, I did I did like my 800 questionnaire 800 question questionnaire thing played with blocks in his car and uh, he eventually said like yeah like you have autism it's it's pretty obvious and it's not like autism is something that's like in, in uh, unnoticeable in a developing child it's a very noticeable uh social uh it, it very noticeably affects uh social life and how people uh speak or do really anything when it comes to uh social connection and so the fact that my school district didn't actually diagnose me with autism causes a lot of headaches for them and for us because there is a, a law a lot of West Coast states have called the Fair Education Rights Act. And it states that any school district that it's, it's something along the lines of like any school district that can't properly give support to those with disabilities of mental or physical uh, disorders. If they can't do it and they are liable to pay for programs and care that have to do with fixing these problems up until the time of college. When that was found out, my school, all this money, because these programs aren't cheap. They are some of the most expensive uh, uh, expenditures you can possibly think of. When they, when, this, when they found out about that, panic. They had a lot of, they started setting up people, like at my other boarding schools that I went to, they started setting up people like every two months or so to try and test me, to undiagnose me with autism, to disprove the diagnosis, blah, blah, blah because it was a lot of money against their school district. And they never they never did disprove me having autism, obviously, but they ended up paying for after, uh, half of my wilderness and my two other programs fully for tuition costs. Somewhat unsurprising. Yeah. But it's still so fucked up. I'm like, wow, they, they really try to disprove that, bro. After wilderness though, so I didn't go back to classes. They, they, they were pissed off me. They didn't want me there. So I was sent to another program in Utah in a little town called Vista Magna. And the program's called uh, Vista Magna. It's an RTC that, as from what I heard, is actually recently under fire from some uh, old students uh, making uh, legal claims against them. It's an RTC, our residential treatment center, which is think of like uh, it's basically like a residential house. It, it's usually gated. It's it's sometimes uh, internally locked down too. Like there's there's like magnet locks in the door and stuff sometimes where you can't like leave your room or you're under watch constantly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm-hmm. But uh, so I went to a non lockdown, which means it was still gated, but. You had a lot more freedom of movement inside the facility, at least. And so what it was, basically, was uh, two residential houses with basements. One was called the main house, and the other one I forgot the name of. And I was originally in the main house. It looked like a residential house with, like, a school gym attached to it. And, like, an office building across the uh, from the school gym attached to the other side of the house. And then there's one also a bedroom upstairs. And like the upstairs area is kind of like the tour area. It's like the good looking part of the house. And then they'd show off the, the, the bedroom that was up there. So if you, if you got moved up there, that means that you were one of the good eggs and you were, you were trusted enough for tours to see your bedroom because you were clean or something. The only problem is that if you got in trouble, you have to walk your mattress down a spiral staircase to sleep in the living room downstairs. Well, I forgot the name of it, but you weren't allowed to get any of your restricted items, which included playing cards or your razors or anything. Your restricted items are in a closet that that only the staff can unlock. And so if you needed it, you had to ask them to open it up to get it. And your overall experience at, um, at this place, um, what would you really have to say about it? Honestly, I feel that 
that place actually helped me a lot more than wilderness because my therapist there was actually amazing. He really showed me like what I was doing was wrong and like he actually showed me ways to help myself to fix it, coping mechanisms, DBT therapy, all that stuff. And it really did help uh, put me in a more socially adept mindset, I guess. Can you tell me what DBT therapy is? It's dialectical behavioral therapy. So uh, it's basically a lot of, it's, it's all about emotional versus logical thinking and uh, using logical thinking uh, to react and to uh, basically think logically first before you do something emotionally that something and that's that's all what it's about so it's about like taking time to uh, tell people things or to uh, take care of yourself mentally or to how to deal with conflict and arguments and stuff like that you know once you had finished uh, being at this place, did you re-enroll back into high school? No, I still haven't re-enrolled back into high school. They still didn't want me there. I was given the choice between two boarding schools, and I chose one that was up in uh, northern Idaho. And how did that go? That one was definitely an experience. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that. So I, I, we, we spent uh, three days driving up there. So this one was a lot different from my RTC. My RTC was with the last program and it was in a lot more of an urban environment. We went to movies, we went to the mall to walk around, we went roller skating, etc., etc. This one was in the middle of fucking nowhere. <laughs> Bordering a cow pasture. Uh, it was built on an old farm itself and it was right next to the Montana-Canada border. Boarding school itself, they have this, they have their main house too. And it has like a, a giant like atrium area called, that's like the uh, the living room area. It's like a giant fireplace in the middle and like a, a pit seating around it that's indoors, and like a bunch of tables and stuff around there. And then there's classrooms down one wing, and the other wing is all offices. And there's a games room with like a, a two pool tables. What was one of the weirdest or one of the most notable, or what was the most memorable experience that you had there? I've had a lot of memorable experiences. I've had positive and a lot of negative ones. Positive experience, I'd say that uh, every winter season, they choose kids that wanted to ski and, uh, and they would take us to like a local ski resort. And I, I love skiing, man. Uh, I got my first skis that I own uh, when I was there. Uh, it was gifted to me for my birthday by my mom's uh, boyfriend at the time, which was the same one that was uh, the one when I was at the wilderness, by the way. I, I got to ski there every for two seasons, uh, twice a week. And that was that was awesome. Uh, and I got I got really good at it, too. I, I grew a lot as a skier. Another one, they have a dog program there that I was also able to join, which is like a rehab retraining for dogs, where we'd uh, borrow dogs from local shelters to uh, clicker train them and to get them to be more uh, appealing to be adopted. And so I spent uh, two years doing that at that program, and I, I really miss uh, owning a dog. I'm very happy because I mean, it, it, throughout, throughout like everything that we talk about, I feel like there's been like a lot of ups and downs, sort of. Mm -hmm. I'm very happy that you got to experience all of that. That sounds so fucking awesome, especially the skiing part. I went skiing once, never forget it. Super awesome. Um, it's one of those things I feel like, at least with me for skiing, that it's just one of those moments in life where it's like you kind of have to experience it. Mm -hmm. And like you have to like physically like feel like 
the terrain around you and see the snow and the trees and how like completely unrealistic but real everything is around you and just, oh especially yeah. like the ski lifts too mm-hmm. and like how that creates like an intimacy during the moment with like whoever it is that you're with because it's just so unreal bro I, i'd even argue that like skiing actually helped me mentally quite a bit when it came to like having a passion for something yeah that the, the entire setting of it is just so like it, it's it's very intimate at least for me yeah the, the problem is that with just the things i said i mean there there are things i i haven't said yet and it's it, you're you're right now thinking like a parent this is all this is all they tell you is oh we got a dog program and we got skiing in the winter but there are there are things they don't that they don't tell the parents or they try not to show the parents and even they even like consequences for kids that try to tell the parents what's going on outside of just these positives that's to the point of even giving like tens of hours of community service in consequence to that because they they try to fancy up the place when uh parents come to tour and they try to have as little uh contact with the kids that are already there with the touring family except for ones that they trust to tell the, the story that the boarding school wants to tell and those so are good what, what was actually like going on there was a lot of uh insanity a lot of the the clientele they so a lot of the, the this backstory the boarding school itself originally was founded by the Sidu cult and that that's a legitimate cult that started in santa monica the Sidu cult yes it's c-e-d-u and so they were like uh mental health fanatics kind of a kind of a deal where they they were basically like think of like the mad scientist pioneers of mental health but like not necessarily the productive kind so they had their own methods they had their a lot of lawsuits at their original campus and they needed to split up their campus between different locations and so they took uh half of the campus that they had in california and they moved them up to Bonners Ferry, Idaho to start a, a boarding school called Rocky Mountain Academy. And Rocky Mountain Academy was fucking insane. They, uh, I, I can't tell you much about it because I wasn't there and it was before, a long, long time before my time. To this day, there's still two missing person cases from that boarding school from kids that were there. And one uh, worker that was found to be uh, a murderer that was there. Not the of those fuck? kids, but... Yeah, so the the people they were hiring were not exactly of the actually wanting to help, but more of just needed the money. And they weren't exactly taking care of the kids either, to the point of two of them not being found and most likely dead. So that place got closed because of lawsuits. And then uh, United Health Services, which is a corporation that owns a bunch of uh, therapeutic uh, facilities around the United States, came and bought the campus and rebranded it to become Boulder Creek Academy. And so Boulder Creek Academy's uh, main target clientele were kids with social issues or drug abuse and ones that were not doing well in school. So they had their own little self-accreditation schooling program and it wasn't really helpful because it's self-accredited for a reason. They, they didn't have a math teacher half the fucking time. And when I, got, when I got to college, I just wasn't prepared at all and I failed my first term because of it because I just didn't take essential classes that I was supposed to in high school. When, when, when you get there, they start you off in the farm program because all of these programs are like, uh, they follow the, the steps of change. There's, so there's five phases of change and they, are, they have their own little 
they have uh, like a amongst you guys like was it like a constant conversation that people were like hey like this was founded by c dude were there ongoing rumors like amongst like your peers of like that this place might be like weird or insane i mean there was conversations about that but i never heard of c dude until after i left the boarding school and this was of your own research uh yeah so a lot of there was a lot of there's a lot of things that happened that were illegal that were that weren't exactly reported to or dealt in a legal manner. Part of it was because they have a little legal shield around them because they're in a, a treatment program, and the other part was just not reporting incidents that the because pro, the program would get in trouble if they were found out. So there was four or five unreported counts of rape between students and students. And I know that they were never reported to the police by the program itself. Because they dealt with it themselves to avoid any public attention. Exactly. And this was like a thing. Yes. On top, you have to think about the people that can afford this kind of thing. The people that are sending their students here aren't just anybody off the streets. You have to have the funding for it. And so we actually had some high we had we had some high society clientele we had the, we had uh the son of a f- like a very famous band you've definitely heard of it but i'm not gonna say who it is just for their anonymous an- an- uh, anonymity but it's a very famous band his son went there and his son actually ended up failing the program because the program didn't help he had a very severe eating, eating disorder but the program actually ended up encouraging it because they couldn't feed him anything else, so they just gave him Doritos like he wanted, and all, that's all he ate. What the fuck? Because he wouldn't eat anything else. They yeah. didn't want to get on his hands. They didn't know what to do. Yeah. But the thing is, like, if you can't, if you admit that you don't know what you're doing or can't help somebody, then why you don't are you? Keep, exactly. You don't keep him. Exactly. So, so, but he was there for like seven months eating just Doritos, and he he was like uh, fourteen, and he was only like four foot two. He oh my god, he so, didn't he did he so not grow because of the nutritional yeah. yeah, he was just so malnourished. And they just let him there knowing that they couldn't help him. So that we there was a lot of kids that are like that where they just can't admit that they can't help anybody. And a lot of the time, uh, there were kids that became self aware about this. Self aware that they won't be reprimanded for doing stuff because they're special cases or severe cases. Oh, I see. So they get like a leg up, if that makes sense. They get a, no, they get a bubble around them. They get away with a lot more. And yeah. So they knew they become self-aware of that and they start doing shit for attention constantly. I'm talking like a broken window at least once every two weeks from some from someone being mad and throwing a rock or a fire extinguisher through it. This one kid uh, named Mitchell, he did a lot for attention. He, I, I, I haven't talked, I haven't seen him since. I don't know what he's doing, but he like. He, he ate cigarette butts off the ground. He threw rocks through windows like every week. He was almost always under a consequence program. And then they somehow, they, they there's a thing they do where they graduate people if they want to get rid of them too. Not necessarily because they're ready because he definitely was not ready to leave. He, uh, they didn't want to hurt his feelings, I guess. I don't know. But they, they just, if they don't want to get, if they don't, if they want to get rid of you and they can't just straight up transfer you to a different program because the parents don't want it, they just put you on the fast track to graduation. So graduating there doesn't actually mean anything necessarily unless you know the context behind it. So this but, place definitely has like a, uh, I guess you could say a lot of lore to it. Yes, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that parents can't understand unless they become a part of the program itself. And they're not just going to tell the parents about it either. I'd say that the biggest incident we had, it was like January 2020 and there was three kids. It was, and they 
were uh, being harassed. There's just like this kid named Jonathan, and I, I love Jonathan. He's a he he uh, he's a very he's a very, he's a comedian. That guy he um, he he likes to like tease people a lot, but like in like a, it's, it's usually in a friendly way, and like and people like let him let him off of it because of it because it's it, the shit he said is fucking hilarious, man. But like these, he he's been going on this group of three kids for a bit too much, and so at the end of the day, uh, every every uh, night there's a thing called house around where everyone and this happens multiple times a day. But at night, uh, everyone is like it's like an attendance call. Everyone has to be in the main house uh, pit seating area and like make sure everyone's there. And then they go off to their dorms and go to sleep. But there are a group of three kids that stay behind to help clean the main house every week, and I was one of them. And this night, uh, those three kids decided to curb stomp the shit out of Jonathan out of anger on the basketball court. And so I was cleaning, and then I saw one of the staff carrying in Jonathan with like a bloody head uh, through the uh, through the building and into their staff office that no kids were allowed to go into. And then they told us to go hide in the games room, which was the opposite side of the front of the building. And so when asked about what was happening, it turns out that, well, they curb stomped him and then they took a scooter and then they walked off to one of the admin buildings near the front of the campus and broke in and then got into the company vehicle key vault using the scooter to break into it. And they actually stole a company vehicle and they took it for a joyride around campus and they got it stuck in a snowdrift. And at this point, we had a bunch of people in the games room just screaming like, they're going to run us over, they're going to this one kid was going absolutely hysterical and people tried to calm him down but you know it's just a combination of like people that actually need help and like inflated like rich kids and like this just sounds like a terrible situation for like everybody yeah and but like this this kid uh just needed to shut up because we already know what's going on we don't need him to cause more hysteria for everyone else and so everyone was just telling him to shut up the entire time and it wasn't really helping anything either and so they got the car stuck in a snowdrift and so no staff came to go get those kids afterwards because they weren't exactly allowed to really touch the kids except if it was like a, a ther- uh, quote-unquote therapeutic grab or restraint. And uh, they had time to go steal another car and then go on an interstate chase with it. And they were caught because they tried to steal chips from a, like a gas station by a highway. And then... Uh, Two of them went to uh, juvenile detention, and one of them came back to the program. And the other one that didn't go to juvenile detention just came straight back to the program and had like hundreds of hours of community service hours. Did Jonathan survive? Like, yeah, Jonathan lived. Because um, did they actually like? I don't know, like if you know like the exact details, but they did they actually like curb stomp him? Yeah, they actually curb stomped him. D- did his jaw break? No, they did on the top part of his head. Oh, oh my so gosh. They, he, had a, he had a fractured uh, ear area. What? If we if we told any of the parents about something like this happening, like we we were liable to like get demoted from our from our phase or to get into like multiple hours of community service. Community service isn't the only kind of consequence that they have there. They that's just like the minimum they also had something called a table and a, a house down ban and what a table is is that 
if you're on a table, you you are basically stuck. You have to sit at a, t- a table in the corner of the main house, which is like the, the the main area of it, where everyone's doing stuff for like the recreational activities during that time. And uh, you can't get you can't uh, you can't go get meals. It's brought to you because the cafeteria is in a separate building, and uh, you have to work on some community. Commu- uh, you have to work on some uh, uh, like some essays about respect or some nonsense that wasn't actually helpful and then uh you have to review with your entire therapeutic team if you're ready to get off like in a few weeks or something but uh house down bands is the same thing as a table except you don't get food from the cafeteria you get a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and an apple for every fucking meal you aren't allowed to communicate to anybody from the table. If you need to go to the bathroom, you have to go with the staff, and they have to be able to. They have to be able to like see your feet in the stall or some shit. And uh, you have to sleep in the main house as well, under the watch of staff. With 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 all this being said, um, what would you kind of say overall about your opinion on mental health is treated for? young adults and minors alike uh, in your experience I feel that it's very dismal it's very poor but at the same time I don't I don't know a solution I know there needs to be reform but I it's gone so far to say that at this point I just think that most programs exist to make money off of kids that are in these kinds of condition like I, I'm sure the people working for them care I I, I, I feel that at there's a lot of corruption when it comes to problems.